Christmas chaos, can you relate? Does it seem like in this season, amidst all the hustle and bustle, when we want everything to go perfectly, that nothing seems to? Can you relate to getting ready for the Christmas party, and you just want your family to look perfect like like the Hallmark card, and you're fighting your kids and elbow dropping them to put the Christmas sweater on, and it's itchy, and I don't want to wear it, and do we have to go? Anybody? Is that just my family? You work so hard, ladies, and you have prepared everything, and then you get it almost done, and you realize that you forgot the most important ingredient at the grocery store. The chaos of Christmas, the stress that goes along with it, everything has to be right. Everything has to be perfect. We have to keep up with the Joneses, and and, and we have to make sure that uh, we're posting the appropriate number of pictures on Facebook so that everyone knows our family loves each other. We're going here and we're going there and we're trying to shop and we're stressing over how are we going to pay for the Christmas presents because we're already living paycheck to paycheck and yet now we have to, uh, you know, and, and kids, they never ask for simple things. They always ask for the expensive things. My daughter was rattling off her Christmas list the other day and I stopped her about midway through and I said, you realize you've just asked for like $3,000 worth of stuff. Santa's not coming to your house with all that stuff, I can just tell you. And they ask for big things, and and we want to do it for them because we love them, but it doesn't make sense in the finances, so we're struggling. Do we put it on a credit card and go into debt, or do we try to uh, reduce Christmas and only do what we can afford? And and we want to do the wise thing, but there's a, a pressure to go above and beyond what we could ever really afford to do. So we spend half of the next year paying back what we spent so that our family would have the greatest Christmas ever. And we build it all up for this one big event, hoping that it goes right. And and have you ever missed on a present? Man, I missed on a present one time. It wasn't Christmas. I missed on a present one time with Lindsay. Oh my gosh. She's not here right now. Thank the Lord. So we are just married. We've, been, we've only been married, a, you know, like a few months or so, and it's time for me to get her this present. Well, in all fairness, she wanted two things. One, she had been dropping hints about, and one I, was a place she wanted me to take her, and, and I had that one too. So before, you just tell, before I tell you this story, know that there was another part of the gift. So my wife really loves to clean. She just loves to clean. She, the, the, the smell of Clorox in the morning is, is better than Folgers. I mean, she just loves to clean. So she had been telling me, and I thought she was dropping hints. She was saying she kept seeing the Swiffer Jet commercials on TV and was talking about how bad she wanted one. I thought she was dropping hints for me to get one for her birthday or anniversary or whatever it was. I'm new to this whole husband thing, and I decide, you know what? I'm smarter than all these other guys. I get the hint. I go out, and I, got the, I get the deluxe model, the most expensive one I could find. It's in her favorite color, and she opens it up, and I'm thinking, I'm just beaming like I just nailed this thing right here. You have no idea what's coming, but I was picking up what you were putting down, girl. I am ready. And she opens it up. She goes, you got me a Swiffer? 
Yeah, babe, I know you've been dropping hints for like months. Like our entire marriage, you've been dropping hints about wanting this Swiffer jet with the spray deal, and I've got it all. Look, it's the deluxe model. It's in your favorite color. It matches the kitchen. So you, so you got me a mop. No, it is not a mop. It's a mop and a broom and the spray down stuff all at once. It's amazing. Look what it can do. <clears throat> You thought the perfect gift for me would be a mop. <laughs> and I, I, I mean, I crashed and burned. Men, have you ever crashed and burned like that? You're not going to raise your hand right now. It's just me. Just me. We'll go a, couple, a couple honest guys. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Just crashed and burned. From, here, from there on out, that was uh, uh, 14 years ago in January since we've been married. I will never buy her. I won't even go to the Walmart and buy her a mop. You're going to have to buy your own mop now. Birthdays on the on the list. When I go to Walmart, nope, you're buying your own mop. I'm out of the Swiffer business forever. So, so we we build up and we get all this stress and we get all this pressure. And and oftentimes we view Christmas as an event, like like a birthday party or something. And so we get all this pressure built up and everything has to be perfect. But the problem is, if we view Christmas as event, number one, if something goes wrong, the whole event is blown up. And number two, once an event takes place, most often life doesn't really change. It goes back to being the way it was. Think about it. Uh, I turned uh, 35 earlier this year uh, in September. Um, and to be honest with you, I don't remember what I did for my birthday. I don't remember uh, much of what I what anyone gave me for my birthday seems like I, I no that's not true I got some saltgrass gift cards I have been using those thank you for whoever gave me those but besides that my, I didn't feel any different when I woke up on September the 24th I felt no different than I felt on September the 23rd and on September the 26th or 25th I felt no different than I felt on the 24th because my birthday came and went and nothing really changed in my life and if we're not careful, we can view Christmas through the same lens. We stress and we work and we strain all to get ready for this big event on Christmas morning. And there is nothing like a child that can open up the present that you searched far and wide, elbow dropped other moms in Target for, and they open it up and they are unimpressed and move on to the next one that can just destroy your day. Can I get an amen? If we view Christmas as an event, we are downplaying. But Christmas is not supposed to be an event. It is Advent. Some of you who have a more uh, traditional background, maybe in Catholicism or others, you may, have, uh, you may understand some things about Advent. And that's what we're in right now. Advent is, is the season that we are in. It's the weeks leading up to Christmas. Because uh, going back in our history of Christianity... You can search all the way back uh, to, to uh, as early as the four, uh, 480 A.D., uh, and we think it might even, Advent might even have gone all the way back to the Apostle Peter, but we're not sure. But we know it was there in, in 480 A.D. because people wrote about it. And we know it was there in 567 A.D. because at the Council of Tours, they made uh, a proclamation that all monks had to fast every day of December leading up to Christmas. I, for one, am glad that pastors do not have to fast every day leading up to Christmas. So it's been around a long time, and, and the word literally translates from the Latin to mean the coming or the arrival. 
And it's all about this, this preparing for the coming of something, specifically in this case, the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Christ. Three, three things they would talk about, uh, comings that they would refer to. Number one is they would remember the coming of the Savior uh, when he came in the flesh as, a, as baby Jesus and changed the world. Number two, they would, they, would, um, they would remember and realize the coming of Christ in our lives every day. And the fact that he wants to be involved in your life every single day. He didn't just come to the world and then leave, but the whole plan was to uh, leave us with gifts that would stay with us forever. To leave us with a relationship. And then the third one is they would uh, look forward with great expectation to the coming of the Messiah in all of his glory at the end of time. So they would look forward to the second coming of Christ. And this is what Advent was all about. You may have seen uh, the Advent wreaths where they have candles in them. Uh, oftentimes four candles. And they would light each one. And then the candles have different meanings, but primarily uh, the themes of Advent were hope, love, joy, and peace. Here's what I believe. I believe that Advent and an understanding and preparing for the coming of Christ is the antidote for the Christmas chaos. Because He came as the Prince of Peace. Let's read in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and here it is, Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace is the antidote to Christmas chaos. The strife and the struggle and the worry and the stress and the strain and the, and the anxiety and all that goes into it. The antidote is God's up in heaven saying, I already sent you the Prince of Peace. Why are you going through all that? Why are you stressing and why are you worrying and why are you doubting when I sent you my son and called his name the Prince of Peace? You see, when Jesus came, when this baby was born, it wasn't just another birthday, but it was the birth of something new. You see, I celebrated my 35th birthday. The world didn't really change that much. But you know, um, the, week or so, the week before Thanksgiving, my family celebrated something else, a different birthday. My youngest sister, Hannah, uh, had her uh, son, and I got some pictures here. Would you like to see him? You would? Uh, he's cute. I'm telling you. Uh, so if you have those pictures, this is Uriah Clark Rohani, and uh, he, is, he is a cute little guy. Look at that thing. Look at that. That ought to be winning an award in a magazine somewhere. And, uh, and there's my sister Hannah with, with him. Look at that cute little guy. Um, I wanted to have, uh, I, yeah, there you can clap. You can call him Yuri, Yuri. Uh, uh, Uriah is his name, so we call him Yuri. And don't call him Uriah. It's Uriah. All right, say that with me, Uriah. So it was an <laughs> inside joke at Thanksgiving. Everyone was calling him Uriah. And that was not going well. He responds to Yuri or Uncle Randon's favorite. Some, something like that. So here's the thing. When Uriah was born, 
leading up to it, there was this time of, of preparation. You've had a baby, you know. Putting together the nursery, putting together the crib, the changing table, decorating, getting the diapers ready. There's showers and there's parties and there's all the things that go to the place. Doctor's appointments and all these things take place. But when the baby is born, life doesn't just we, just, we don't just, you know, go, we have a baby and then we say, okay, well, it's back to life as usual now. How many of you know a baby changes everything in your life? There's screaming, there's crying, there's tears, and the baby, she gets upset too, and, and it, I mean, it, it's, because when a baby is born, things change. It's not just a birthday, it is the actual date of birth when everything changes, and when this baby child, Jesus, stepped down from heaven into earth, he may have come as a little child, but everything in the world changed for the better. And, and I believe this, if we could understand what the Prince of Peace came to do, then we would realize that Advent is actually, will, can make our lives better, can change our lives for the better. So I want to give you four things, four things about peace that will make this Christmas your greatest yet. Number one is this, the peace of God guards you. The, the peace of God will guard you from Christmas chaos. Philippians 4, verse 5 through 7. Uh, he says this, Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. What are we doing? We are expectantly waiting, talking about the coming of Christ. He's coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace. Everybody say God's peace. Man's peace is one thing. God's peace is something totally different. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And His peace, here it is, will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Put this in the context here. Paul is writing this from a prison cell. He's thinking about the worry and the stress that the Philippians were going through and, and the strain that they were under and the persecution that they were facing. And here he is in a prison cell and he looks outside the door and he sees a jailer standing there who won't let anyone into him to try to break him out or kill him or anything else. And he is there uh, to guard him. And he looks out the door and he says, you know what? That's what the peace of God does in my life. That's what the peace of God will do in your life. He is standing outside the door of your heart and your mind. And when negative things try to come in, he says, nope, not today. When negativity tries to take over, he says, nope, not today. When, when bad feelings start to come in, when stress and anxiety start to come in, he says, whoa, 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 you can't come in here. I, I wonder what it was like for Paul as he was sitting there seeing that jailer and thinking, that is what God does for me. The peace of God does for me in my life. Don't be anxious. Uh, don't be anxious, but you can experience. You see, um, when he's guarding your heart, he's guarding your heart from wrong feelings. And when he's guarding your mind, he's guarding your mind from wrong thinking. Negative things are trying to break in to ruin your Christmas, but the peace of God will protect you. 
So how do you experience the peace of God? I love, it. I love that word experience because the peace of God is something you feel, it's something you see, it's something you can taste, it's something that you can hear, it's something that gets all around you. It is a full experience when the peace of God is guarding you. So how do we do it? Would you like to know how to experience the peace of God? Paul gives us just a couple of ways. Number one, he says, don't worry about anything. Now, we often think that we cannot control worry and stress and anxiety. But Paul says, no, 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 no. You are in control of the worry in your life. You are in control of the anxiety in your life. You are in control of the stress in your life. And he's saying, I want you to make a decision not to worry. And the only way that we can stop worry is to replace it with something else. The only way we can not worry is to do something different. And here's what he says, three things. He said, number one, I want you to pray. Pray is about relationship with God. The, the word here, it's about relationship with God. It's about worship. It, it, it's about honoring God. And it's about asking God to involve himself in your world. So the first thing that we do to change from worry to the peace of God is we pray. I want to challenge you to begin your day every day for the rest of this year with 10 minutes of prayer, 20 minutes of prayer, and watch how it will change the course of this season. The third thing that Paul asks us to do is he says, tell God what you need. Now, how many of you in here read the New King James Version? Anybody read the New King James or the King James? Okay. It probably says something like this, in prayer and supplication. The word supplication, the New Living Translation kind of tones it down a little bit, tell God what you need. And we can read that like, you know, go tell your dad what you need. That's not what supplication is. Prayer is a little bit more like, daddy, I love you. And, you know, can you buy me a lollipop? Right? Supplication. Here's what the book of Hebrews talks about, how, how Jesus, in chapter 5, verse 7, how Jesus went in prayer and supplication before the Father, and while he was in the garden, down on his knees, he wasn't just praying, Father, I love you, and if it be your will, let it pass in front of me. He was praying so intensely that the Bible says that drops of blood were coming from his forehead. There was so much intensity, spiritual intensity. It's not necessarily about praying louder, but it's about spiritual intensity that comes out of you are saying, God, I need you to come through in my life. Right now, I am asking you for your will to be done. And this situation does not look God so good. So Lord, I've prayed and that's been wonderful, but now I am coming to you with some spiritual intensity. And we, we get to the door of prayer, which is a good one. I love prayer and I think you should. I, I don't want to downplay prayer. But when we're going through things, we call prayer and we think, well, we've done enough. When we say, Lord, can you help me out of this situation? And then we go on doing things our way. But supplication is about getting on your knees and saying, God, this is what I'm asking you for. This is what I need. This is what I need help with. Oh, and by the way, not my will, but yours be done. That's how Jesus went to God in prayer and supplication. And then uh, he finally says, uh, so he says, um, don't worry, pray, tell God what you need or supplication. And then he said, thank him for all he has done. He hasn't done anything yet. <laughs> Start thanking him in advance. Think of something. Thank him for what he did for someone else. 
Thank him for what he did for that person. Thank you what he might do. Just thank him in advance. Listen, God lives outside of time anyway. God is not bound to the timeline of your life. He is, in the, he is the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. He was there in the beginning, and at the very same time, he's here today. So if we start thanking God for what he's already done, he's like, oh, yeah, I already did do that. You're right. Just keep moving forward right here, and I'll take you there. So we thank God for all he's done. And when we do those four things, we can experience the peace of God. But what I love is it says um, it will exceed anything we can understand. You know, I want to tell you this. God's peace may not make sense, but it does make a difference. It may not make sense in my rational brain, but it does make all the difference in the world. Shalom, uh, or the peace of God, is more than just a lack of fighting or arguing or anxiety. It's not just making sure that all the circumstances in your life are right. The peace of God has nothing to do with the circumstances in your life. If you're waiting on circumstances to be right, to find peace, you're going to be waiting a while. And even if you have it, it will be only for a fleeting moment because circumstances are continually changing. But shalom is about letting peace rule in your hearts, according to Colossians, despite your circumstances. Things don't look great. Don't let those things rule. Feelings don't, aren't, aren't really well. I'm not feeling well. I'm hurting right now. Don't let those feelings rule. God wants to give you shalom. Shalom is about well-being. It's about health. It's about prosperity. It's about security and soundness and completeness. God wants to complete you. The first benefit of the peace of God is that it will guard you. He'll protect you. Number two, and this one I'm, I'm going to challenge you uh, a lot right here, especially everyone who said you read the New King James Version. The peace of God is not for everyone. I'm going to read you a few verses from the book of Luke, chapter 2, but I'm going to stop, uh, and then I'm going to uh, see if you can remember how it ends. Luke, chapter 2, we'll begin in verse 10. Jesus has just or the angel has just presented himself to the shepherds. They're losing their mind. They're tripping out. Oh, my Lord, here's an angel. What in the world is going on? Verse 10, he says, But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of God, praising God. Now, don't, don't put the next verse up. And saying, how many of you know, have, you, have heard this, or maybe you've sung it in a Christmas song, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Right? It's okay. Here's what the New Living Translation says. Glory to God in highest heaven, pretty similar. And peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. And peace on earth, goodwill to men. That's not what it says. In fact, if you go searching through the different translations of Scripture, you'll find almost, you'll only find uh, two. There may be a couple of obscure ones, but of all the main versions of Scripture and translations, only two say good and goodwill towards men, the King James and the New King James. Why? Well, 
The problem is they used a Greek word here that's not often found in, in original Greek writing, but it's only found in, in Jewish writings. And uh, the, the people, there was some confusion on how to interpret it. But now that we have more scrolls, uh, all of our most accurate translations of Scripture today say it like the New Living Translation say it, says it. That it isn't just peace on earth and goodwill towards men. But it's peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. There's a theologian, and he put it like this. His name is Bob Utley, and he wrote it like this. The familiar King James rendering gives the wrong theological impression. This is not a text on God's love for all humanity, but of God's offer to peace of peace to those who know Him and are involved in His kingdom. You see, the peace of God is not for everyone. It's for those who know Him and who are involved in His kingdom. So yes, the peace of God will protect you. It will guard you. You, will, you can experience it, but it's not just for everyone. It's available but it's only promised to those with whom God is pleased. So I ask you this question, is God pleased with your life? Is He pleased with your relationship with Him? Is He pleased with how you're living and how you're going about life? Or do you know Him and are you involved in His kingdom? If you are, then you got me or a reason to celebrate today because the peace of God is promised to you. If you're not, can I encourage you? Know Him and get involved in His kingdom today. Don't try to go through Christmas without the peace of God, but it can be promised to you. This is challenging to believe. It's a struggle. We, we want to go back to the King James Version. You see, for the angels, they were, they were giving good news. For the shepherds, this seemed to be good news. It seemed to be peaceful out in the fields, but it was not a peaceful time. Life was difficult in these days. Taxes were high, unemployment was high, morals were slipping lower, there was a military state in control, Roman law, Greek philosophy, and Jewish religion could not meet the needs of men's heart. And suddenly the angel appears and says, no worries, I'm bringing to you the prince of peace, but he's only available to those with whom God is pleased. Make sure you're living your life this, week, this Christmas season in a way that God is pleased with you. Number three, Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called children of God. Uh, depending on what version you read, um, blessed be the peacemakers. The word blessed there, and um, in, in the future I'm going to preach a series on this, but it's a Greek word that they chose, uh, markarios, and it was a specific word for blessed. There's normally another word, uh, used for blessed in the New Testament, but this was a specific word chosen. And Jesus chose this word, and when he said it, everybody stopped and listened. It was kind of a, a shock and awe moment in his Sermon on the Mount, and everyone would stop. Why? Because this specific blessed, it meant a state of happiness, but it was a state of happiness that was exclusively reserved to the Greek and the Roman gods. So mortal men could never achieve this state of Markarios, this state of happiness. And Jesus steps up and he says, you know that place that you think only the gods can get to? Here's what I'm going to tell you. Markarios, blessed, happy are the peacemakers. 
If you'll be a peacemaker in your life, you are promised a happiness that was once only reserved for the gods. You're promised a happiness that the rest of the world can't reach. It's a happiness that starts within, that's not based on what's going on around you. But there is a joy that can only come from God. But it happens if we are peacemakers. Are you a peacemaker or a peacebreaker in your life? Be a peacemaker. And number four, number four. Are you okay this morning? You can make the world a better place this Christmas if you'll be a peacemaker. Number four, your peace has already been purchased. I said to you that peacemakers are making peace between God and man and man and man. And, but the peace of God in your life begins in your relationship between you and God. It starts in your heart and it works out from there. Check out this verse about the Messiah. And Isaiah 53 and 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. You've heard this. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. Now we often say, and by his stripes we are healed. That's a great promise that you need to stand on in your life. You're going through a physical sickness or some type of sickness in your life. Man, you need to stand on that promise. By his stripes he was healed. But there's something else. This word chastisement referred to the entire beating that went on at the whipping post and all along the road. It wasn't just the stripes, but here's what Isaiah says. You didn't have peace in your world because you couldn't have it. Because there was a, a, a disconnect in the relationship between God and man. It started back um, in, in the garden and, and, and it worked all the way through scripture and, and all the way through history. And so there was never really a peace between God and man and thus never really a peace uh, in, in your world around you. Peace was a fleeting thing. True peace was never reached. And he said it happened because of your sin. So he said... Sin has a price. Law, when breaking the law, has a price. And the only way you can get back in peace or back in right standing or back to a good place is when the penalty is paid. And here's what Isaiah said. Yes, Jesus went to the cross for our sin, but so that you could have peace with God and peace in your heart. Jesus was beaten by the Roman soldiers. And he was whipped, and he was scourged, and then he was kicked and bruised, and the beard plucked from his face as he carried his cross to Calvary. And he did all of that to pay the price so that you could have peace. Jesus was serious about it. I've been reading a story. It's an old story um, that I haven't uh, thought about since I was going on mission trips when I was much younger. And it's a story of um, a, a family who were missionaries to New Guinea, to the cannibal tribes in New Guinea, specifically the Sawi tribe. And these cannibals, they they fought battles. They cut the heads off of of their neighboring tribes and victim. They would form friendships, but only for the purpose of fattening them up for the slaughter. And in 1962, Don and Carol Richardson, they went to New New Guinea, and they risked their lives to live among these tribes who hated them and didn't seem to want them there because they wanted to bring the gospel. They wanted to bring the light to that part of the world, and they believed that God had sent them there. After living with the tribes 
with one of the tribes for months and working hard to, uh, to bring education and the gospel and build relationships, trying to share the gospel in a way that they could understand. And he was fighting for peace between the tribes who were always warring. Don and Carol witnessed an event that would change their lives forever. There were two tribes that he had been working with. Neither one wanted to trust the other. Both wanted to kill each other and to protect their own tribes. And they were at the brink of war. But as dawn broke on that final morning, this man and his wife watched from the window of their long house, which was built up in the trees. Suddenly a man emerged from his own home. He had his child on his back, one of his young sons. He had a look of sternness on his face, and his wife came out immediately behind him, sobbing uncontrollably. And as he made his way down the ladder and, and out to meet the other tribe, the rest of his tribe gathered in behind him. But as they got closer, the mother of this baby began to lose total control until eventually she wrestled that boy off the back of his father and took off running. As she ran through the crowd and weaved her way through the crowd, the father was right behind her until finally one of their older sons stepped in between them and intervened on behalf of his younger brother. The father paced backwards and forth and finally said, I can't do it. At the same time, in another tribe, as Don and Carol sat from their viewpoint, could see both things happening. There was a father that grabbed his son and he turned him over to his brother. And he said, you're going to have to do it. I can't bear to do it myself. And just about the time that that brother took the young baby and he began walking uh, towards the center of these two tribes, the father reached and grabbed him and snatched him back and said, I just can't do it. I've changed my mind. Now we're in a mess because both tribes are facing the brink of war. And what are their, whatever their plan was to stop war is falling apart. There's, there's a buzz going around. There's a worry. Mothers are grabbing their children and holding them tight. Back in the first tribe, a man named Kayo. He slipped away quietly. Without his wife knowing, he climbed up into his house and he, he looked down at the bed and he looked into the eyes of his six-month-old son. He picked up little, this little boy, his name was Baya Kadon, and he held him tight. He stood up, and he walked out of the house. And he walked down his ladder, and before his wife could realize it, he was already walking towards the middle of the two tribes. She cried after him and begged, but she got caught up in the crowd and couldn't get to him. On the other side, a man named Mehor grabbed his son, and they came and met in the middle. Kayo grabbed his baby boy, and he handed it to Mehor. Don and Carol are, are thinking about the Canaanite sacrifices where they would sacrifice young children to their gods, wondering what is about to take place. And Kayo said, Mehor, will you please the words of Kamur? among your people. He said, yes. He said, then I give you my son and with him my name. Mayor said the same thing about Cayo, repeating the same question, getting their same response. And these two men exchanged sons. Very quickly, the sons were passed back 
to other mothers who were waiting to receive their now adopted son. And a celebration ensued on both half, all except for the mothers and the fathers who had just lost their child. Seemed like a difficult thing to understand. Why was this happening? Don was finally able to gain some understanding for what had happened when he grabbed one of the tribes and he said, you've got to tell me what just happened. And the man said that Cayo had given his son to the other tribe as a tarup tin or a peace child. And Mayahor had done the same in return. He said, Don, you've been urging us to make peace. Don't you know that it is impossible to have peace without a peace child? Don said, well, will the children be harmed? These are cannibals. He said, no, in fact, the entire tribe will guard them with their lives. For if either dies, they are no longer bound to the peace agreement. To these warding and treacherous and cannibal tribes, the only way peace could be trusted is if a man was willing to give his own son to his enemy. At some point in the next few weeks, the, the, the peace treaty seemed to be uh, working, but then... One day came when a pig belonging to one member of, a, of one of the tribes was killed. He thought it was the other tribe, and so he grabbed his spear and his bow and his knives, and he and his friends went, went ready for war, marching across uh, through the forest to reach the other tribe. And as he was coming, Cayo saw them, and he stepped in front of them, and, they, and he intervened. And someone brought him the young baby, the peace child, and he held him up, and he said, if, it was, if this child had died, you would be free to attack. But because he is not dead, you cannot attack this tribe. I am here as advocate. The men turned around, crisis averted. They found the culprit, dealt with the problem. Weeks later, Don sat with the men of the tribes discussing what had happened. When recounting the events, he shared his disbelief, but how he realized that the tribesmen were right and that they and their ancestors were not the only ones who found that the peace required a peace child. He said, God wants men to find peace with him and with each other. And he decided to choose a once-for-all peace child, good enough and strong enough to establish peace. Not for just a while, but forever. The problem was, whom should he choose? For among all human children, there was no son good enough or strong enough to be an eternal peace child. So who did he choose? He turned and he said, Kayo, did you give your own son or did you give another man's? Did Mahor give another man's son or did you give your own? And they said, so did God. Like Kayo, God had only one son to give, but he gave him anyway. The child you gave was no cast off that you wanted to get rid of. Was it Kyle? No, sir. He was your beloved son. But the son of God was even more beloved. And then he opened his scriptures to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And he read, Unto us a child is born, a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the prince or the tarap of peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Someone spoke up and they said, is this tarap, this prince of peace, 
the Jesus that you have been telling us about? He responded, yes. They said, but they betrayed Jesus. Don replied, Kyle, when you gave your own son, you were very selective in whom you gave your son to. You chose the one you considered an ideal man, one worthy to receive the peace child. But when God searched for a man worthy to receive his peace child, he found no one. For we are all unworthy of God's peace child. But God didn't say, I can't give my son because they are all unworthy. No, he said, I will give him anyway. Kyle, would you have given your son if you had known that the other tribe would despise him, even slay him? No, I would never have. But in the case of Jesus, God knew beforehand that his son would be slain and killed, but he gave him anyway. God determined that peace was worth his son. God wanted you to have peace so badly that he determined that if the price is the life of my son, my only son, I will present him. And he gave him to this world. And we took him and we broke him and we beat him and we hung him on a cross. But in the midst, peace came to earth. And as we celebrate Christmas this year, you've got to know that the ultimate peace child, Jesus Christ, has already paid the price for you to have peace in your life. Not just freedom from difficult circumstances, but a freedom, a peace that starts within, a shalom. It's a, it's a completeness, it's a wholeness. And that's what God wants for you. It is to your advantage to receive the peace of God. I want to pray to you, for you today, and then we're going to turn it over to our hosts. But I want to pray for you that this Christmas, this Advent season, would be the greatest of your life. And if you were to choose one word to write across as a theme of how this year ended, it would be, the peace child came to my life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for every person here today. But more than that, God, I thank you that you sent your son. And though we weren't worthy, you sent a peace child once and for all that the peace of God, the Prince of Peace, might be released into the world. Father, I'm praying that no stress and no strain and no worry and no anxiety and no struggle and no circumstances, none of it would deter us from understanding that our peace starts in our heart and it comes from you because you already paid the price for it. And I thank you for it, Jesus. So release your peace, O Prince of Peace, into our life. And Lord, may circumstances that are working against us fade away. May your peace overflow within us. I thank you for it now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.